right. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just thank you this morning. You're so worthy of all our praise. Jesus, you're the king of the universe, the creator of all things. We just turn our attention to you this morning. We invite you to come to speak to us. We thank you that you're here this morning. I thank you that you're always speaking. We just praise you for who you are. We just declare your goodness this morning. We say there is no one like you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever had somebody say something to you that ticked you off? You guys are laughing. I'm assuming it's because it's never happened. You know that, that, that experience where somebody, you know, the, the odd time where somebody says something that just, oh, I can't, you just, I can't believe that they would say something like that. Like, aren't they supposed to be Christian? And how could they claim to be a follower of Jesus and do something like that? And, and as you, as you wrestle through that and as you, you think it over and over and over as you're laying awake at night in bed, the hours are passing because you just can't get it off your mind. And that, does that ever happen to anyone? No? And the more you think about it, the, oh, your blood just starts to boil. How dare they? How dare they? Can you believe that they would have the audacity to do something like that? The more you think about it, the the more angry you become and the more justified you are in your anger. Right? You start pulling in other situations as like the more you think about it, the bigger the story gets. Right? It started off with them just not saying hi to you as they passed you in the parking lot. And now it's that they've hated you for the last 20 years. And probably it was them who scratched up your car. And the more you think about it and the more you dwell on it, oh, the that's it. I'm done with that person. They don't deserve to even have a moment of my time. Can't believe that they would do that. 
And it, it, it feels like the situation just gets bigger and bigger and it gets clearer and clearer. So we think in our minds. Until we're at the point where we are ready to call down fire from heaven on them. We're like, God, deal with them. I Vindicate me, Lord, from my enemies. It's interesting because it seems that the order of the day is offense. In fact, I was reading the news the other day. And uh, you guys know about the fires probably happening in Australia. And uh, the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, or Bezos, uh, he gave something like $600,000 to support the fires. And the first article I saw was that everyone was offended. The world was offended with him that he didn't give more. That it was only you know, a year's worth of wages for him. After all, couldn't he afford more? It seems like, like that has become a go-to response. You see, last week we started talking about Nehemiah and we started talking about what does it look like to build something for the long haul? What does it look like to build something that's actually going to last? And it seems like whenever we choose to build something significant, whenever we decide, you know what, I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to do something big and important. Right? We, we love this idea that God has a call for our lives and we're like, all right, I'm going to go after that. But it seems like whenever we do that, there's a few things that love to, to rear their heads. They love to invite us to partner with them. Offense, unforgiveness, and bitterness. You could call them the hook, the weight, and the anchor. We get hooked in by, by offense. Doesn't that look delicious? You guys are all going to be mad at me by the end. You'll be offended that you'll leave here hungry because you've been looking at cake all morning. That's why I put it behind me instead of in front of me. It's ca- captured your attention. If I see you drooling, I'll just think you're so hungry for the word of God. Offense, unforgiveness, and bitterness. Anytime we want to do something significant, that we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, it's almost a guarantee that something like that will invite us to partner with it. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to read out of the NLT for this passage. Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Sanbalat, Toviah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not set up the doors in the gates. So Sanbalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them 
at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Just as a side note, if somebody ever asks you to meet them at a place called Ono, I would recommend don't go. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message. And each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time Sanbalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations. And Geshem tells me it's true. That you and the Jews are planning to rebel And that is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you planned to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. And I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. You see, there's a, there's a parallel with any time we try to build something. That bitterness and his two friends. They, they, they invite us to come and to meet with them. Oh, how could they have said that? How could they have looked at me that way? Wonder why they seem cold. Right? Sometimes it's just the smallest thing and it just hooks us. To partner with offense. And the problem is that when we partner with offense, it's different than, it's, I'm not talking about, about being hurt. Okay? You're allowed to be hurt. We're humans. We end up hurting each other. Not necessarily on purpose. Hurt happens. But offense is a choice. Offense is a choice to break relationship based on a hurt. And what happens is when we allow offense to take, to take place in our life, when we, allow, when we choose to be offended, right? Somebody in here needs to hear that it's a choice to be offended. That's a good word right there. It's a choice to be offended. That when we choose to be offended, then we, it, it is actually a progression. We choose to be offended and then we feel justified in our unforgiveness. Because after all, they don't deserve to be forgiven. And as we leave that unchecked in our life, it becomes bitterness. That's how you get to bitterness. You don't just wake up and you're like, I'm just deciding to be bitter today. It starts with the choice that you made when you chose to be offended. But here's the thing. The enemy knows that if he can get you to that meeting, to that table... And he can distract you from the great work that you're called to do. He can distract you from the call of God on your life if he can just get you to choose to be offended. 
He can actually destroy unity in you and around you if he can just choose, if he can just get you to choose to be offended. If the enemy can get you even further, if he can get you into unforgiveness, and then if he can anchor you to bitterness, he can get you to start being a divisive person. You might think, well, but you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they said to me, how they hurt me. Here's the thing is, I've never met somebody who's walking in unforgiveness, who's walking in bitterness, who was choosing to be divisive. I've never met somebody who didn't feel justified in that choice. If you ask them, they could give you probably a thesis on why it is that they're offended. Why it is that they could not dare to forgive that person. How much that person or those people didn't deserve their forgiveness. In fact, I've never met somebody who, who has been divisive and has tried to cause disunity, who didn't feel that they were justified by God to do so. Here's the thing is, I, I get it. I understand how easy it is to partner with offense, to, to let unforgiveness take root and then to move into bitterness. I understand. I've, I've been in situations where I've, I've had a boss who broke the law to try and fire me. Not for anything I did either. At least that's what I'll tell you. <laughs> I've had friends who, who I've felt like they've betrayed me or who've said hurtful things. And I wish I could say, well, I could, I've always just been able to just push that off and brush it aside. Because I'm a pastor, and pastors are supposed to be forgiving. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but I haven't always made that choice. I get it. I get how easy it is to make that transition. In fact, I I actually think Jesus, more than anybody, understood what it was like. After all, one of his best friends betrayed him. In the moment where he was asking his friends to stand and pray with him, they all fell asleep. And in his darkest, deepest moment in his life, when, when he was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, and his best friend had just betrayed him, His other friends ran away naked so that they could get away from him. And yet his message never changed. Matthew 6, 14. And when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your Father withholds forgiveness from you. Ouch. You see, we could read that and be like, well, Jesus just doesn't understand. He was God after all. 
And yet he was fully man. He experienced betrayal. He experienced heartache and pain and brokenness. He's experienced everything that you will experience in life. And yet his message remains the same. It didn't change. He didn't say this and then when they betrayed him, was like, well, now I'm holding a grudge. He's, he's hanging on the cross between two thieves and his words are, Jesus, or, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. To follow Jesus means that you give up your right to be offended. You give up your right to unforgiveness and you give up your right to live in bitterness. Because following him means doing what he did. If you're not doing what he did, you're not following him. Amen? It's, it's actually that simple. We have a choice. We can choose between living in bitterness or we can choose between living in his, in his presence. And if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, I want you to remember this. If you've got a pen and paper, write it down. If your heart is not for unity, you're in direct conflict with the will of Jesus. If your heart is not for unity, you are in direct conflict with the will of Jesus. In Titus chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says to Titus, after a first and second warning, have nothing more to do with the divisive person who refuses to be corrected. That seems like a really harsh rebuke. Warn them twice and then have nothing to do with them. And yet Paul understood that unity is the will of Jesus. After all, it was Jesus who in John 17 prayed this. John 17, 21 and 22. I pray for them all. That's all of us. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them. So they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. I want to ask you this, what if one of the reasons we don't experience the glory of God in our lives is because we are partnering with things that cause division instead of unity? What if, what if one of the reasons that we don't see the fullness of the glory of God in our lives like it's intended to be is that we're choosing to, to live in offense, we're choosing to live in unforgiveness, to partner with bitterness? instead of moving forward in unity like Jesus prayed. What Jesus is praying here is the will of God. That we would be unified the same way that Him and the Father are unified. Which is just, it's incredible, it's mind-blowing. So why does it matter? Bitterness destroys you. 
The, the interesting thing about bitterness or offense or unforgiveness, because they're all kind of that same train of thought, is really just about how long you let them sit in your life as to which stage you're at. But like that cake, they look amazing. They look delicious. They look justified. And they look, at that moment, they look like the best option. And yet, as you go deeper into that that progression, it draws you deeper into a bottomless pit. You're never going to hit a point where you're like, well, I guess I'm bitter enough. I should probably come back from this. Right? There's never going to be a point where you're like, well, I guess this offense is unjustified. That probably, person probably does deserve forgiveness. Once we start down that path, it's just one on top of another on top of another. And it, it slowly alienates us from the people that God has called us to run alongside. Just like in the story of Nehemiah, his enemies knew that if they could draw him away from the city, from his brothers and sisters, from the church. If, he could, if, they, if the enemy could draw him away, he could kill him and end the work. So why does it matter? Because bitterness will alienate you from others. Number two, it matters because bitterness gives a, the enemy a foothold in your life. And when you give him a foothold, he'll take a mile. And number three, bitterness destroys you because it destroys what you're trying to build. The enemy knows if he can get you to partner with bitterness, he can distract you from the great work that you are called to do. There is no believer, there is no follower of Jesus who is called to a lesser work. Do you realize that? Oh, I thought you were telling me to be quiet. (laughs) There is no follower of Jesus who is called to a lesser work. In the kingdom, sweeping the floor is just as important as filling the communion cups. Being called to hospitality and being gifted in hospitality is just as important as being called to be an evangelist or a preacher. We, we tend to rank these things, but in the kingdom of God, there is no ranking system. The ranking system is actually built on faith. I'm getting sidetracked. I'm going to come back here. Otherwise, this could be a whole different message. So what do we do about it? I love this. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. Nehemiah's enemy is trying to draw him away because he knows if he can kill him, he can end the work. And I love Nehemiah's response. He says, so I replied by sending this message. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working just to meet with the likes of you? See, they, they sent this message four, I think it says uh, four times, something like that. They send the same message four different times. 
Some of you, you're like, okay, I'm choosing not to be offended. And then the message comes back the next day. You're like, oh, today I'm partnering with offense. Right? Yesterday I chose not to be, to, to be forgiving and not to live in unforgiveness. But today, because that message has come back up, I'm choosing to partner with it. And yet Nehemiah, every single time, his response is the same. Why should I come meet with you? Why should I give up this great work that God has called me to do? And so I want to encourage us that, that when bitterness and unforgiveness, when offense rears its head and says, hey, why don't you come eat with us? Come dine with us. Come celebrate with us. Partner with us. That we would say, why should I? If I do that, I'm giving up this great work that God has called me to do. I'm giving up the unity that God has called me to. I'm giving up the call of God. Why would I give that up so I could partner with the likes of you? Just say no. Say no, sorry, I'm doing something that is too great. And you won't distract me. Here's a quick side note. It's super easy to partner with them when we're standing uninvolved. It's, it's actually... Now sometimes... Don't, don't, don't mishear me. Sometimes offense only rears its head when we're involved in a great work. But sometimes when we're standing on the sidelines, it is so easy to engage with offense and choose unforgiveness. And so if that's where you're at, I would encourage you, get involved in a great work. So that you can actually say, instead of saying, well, I'm not doing anything else, why, why don't I meet with you? You can actually say, no, I'm involved in such a great work that I refuse to meet with you. It may be easier to stay uninvolved, but at what cost? So refuse the meeting. Refuse even to entertain the thought of it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 20. 20 to 24. Church, I want this to be really practical this morning. And so I, I want to give you practical steps on how, if you find that you're often caught in offense, how do you deal with that? How can you get out of that pattern? If you find that, that you're often caught with unforgiveness in your heart, how do you get free of that? And if you feel like, you know what, I've let unforgiveness become bitterness. That's not the end of the story. So how do we get out of that place? Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 20, out of the Passion Translation. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, 
it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man. The old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you. And to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life. And live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. You notice in there, Paul is writing to the the Ephesian church. And he says, that's not what Jesus paid for, for you to live like that. After all, if you've actually met with Jesus, you will live like him. And so then it talks about taking hold of the union of, with Christ within yourself. The, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit in you. That that is where the strength comes from in order to not partner with offense, not partner with unforgiveness, and not partner with bitterness. It is by a work of the Holy Spirit in you. By that, he makes us new. So we're going to go through this next section, and I want you to keep that in mind, that that it's not about your works or your striving or, or you trying harder. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you by his power to do the work. Ephesians 4, 26. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not for even a day. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. You see, when it comes to offense, so often it's, it's easy We just need to clarify something. The devil is an accuser and he's a slanderer. And he would love for you to partner with him. So when it comes to offense, it can feel easy because our emotions get involved. And I'm I'm not saying your emotions aren't important. But Paul is saying, don't let them get the best of you. Don't let them be the reason that you choose to be offended with somebody. Because what you do then... In some translations, that same verse says, in your anger, do not sin. Because what you do is, is as you allow that open door, you give him a foothold in your life. You allow him to manipulate you. That's why it starts out as, oh, I can't believe they said that. And, and before you know it, it's this giant story that, that never actually happened, but built itself up in your head. Right? Like we were talking about at the beginning. Started with them not saying hi to you in the parking lot and ended with them scratching your car. Or so you thought. And so he will use that to manipulate and distract you from what God is calling you to do. He'll use it to distract you from unity. 
But what if instead we would choose compassion? What if instead we would choose to celebrate people? What if we, instead, of, instead of choosing to partner with offense, we would say, Jesus, show me how you see this person. Give me eyes to see them the way you see them. It doesn't mean that, it's not, I'm not saying we, we just excuse the hurt. We just push that aside and don't deal with it. I'm, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we ask Jesus, Jesus, how do you see that person? What is the calling on their life? And we start asking him to reveal the gold in their lives. The things that he's planted there. And and maybe at this moment, they're not acting like that. And so we start calling that out in them. The gold that God has planted inside of them. Sometimes it actually means that we trust people before they're ready, even when we know they may let us down. It, it, it depends on the situation. I'm not saying, you know, if somebody's a known thief that you give them the keys to your house or your car. That's probably not wisdom. But I'm talking about where you, you start somewhere where you recognize the call of God on their lives. What God has called them to, what God has placed in them, and you give them an opportunity to live that out. And maybe they, the first time they, they don't live up to that, they don't, they let you down. What if instead of withdrawing, and, and I'm guilty of this, I, for me it's so easy when somebody lets me down to be like, alright, find somebody else. But what if we would then extend them another invitation and be like, hey, let's try that again. Because we believe in them, because we see in them and we want to celebrate what God is doing. What God has placed in them. So what if we chose to celebrate them instead of choosing offense? Unforgiveness. Well, that's an easy one. If you want to get free of unforgiveness, just choose to forgive. Some of you are like, yeah, but I want something else. Give me another step to bypass the forgiveness. I want to get out of forgiveness, but I, I don't want to forgive them. Or, sorry, I don't want to get out of unforgiveness, but I don't want to forgive them. Jesus says, if you have something against someone, go and talk to them. And he also for- commands us to forgive if we want to be forgiven. So let's choose to be a people who are quick to forgive. Instead of letting things stew and, and boil and percolate, go talk to the person. But it's more Christian, isn't it, to bury it and let it fester? And sorry, that was a, a job at Christian culture. Actually, I'm not sorry. This is not healthy. I love how in Nehemiah they send this message saying they make up this whole story about he he wants to be king and all these things that they've heard. And instead of him taking the time to even try and defend himself, he just says, no, none of what you've said is true. 
And I think sometimes we need to take that position. Sometimes we can spend so much time trying to dig ourselves out of motives that we never had. To, to, to prove to someone that that's not who we are. And, and all we need to actually say is, no, that's not true. I'm sorry that you felt that way, but that's not true. That's not, that was never my motive. That was never my intention. When, when the enemy comes and he wants you to partner with unforgiveness, and he starts spewing lies of, oh, this is what they meant, and this is why they did it, and that's what happened, we just look at him flat out and say, no, that's not true. I refuse to partner with unforgiveness. Ephesians 4, 29. And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums. Hold up there. Let's pay, pay close attention to this. You want practical? Here's practical. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums. Some of us, after we grow up, we still throw temper tantrums. Revenge, profanity, and insults. But instead, be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Be imitators of God in everything you do, for then you will represent your Father as His beloved sons and daughters. And continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ. For he surrendered his love as a sacrifice for us. Or sorry, he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. His great love for us was pleasing to God, like an aroma of adoration, a sweet healing fragrance. If you want to beat bitterness in your life, if you want to take away that anchor, choose to guard your heart. Choose to be aware of what you're allowing, what you're cultivating in your heart. Paul says to the Ephesians, says basically, watch your words. Watch what you're saying. But I want to I throw out this morning that if you, watch, if you guard your heart, you don't have to watch your words. Because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. If you guard what's happening in here, And if you start guarding it already back at offense, and you don't wait for it to get to bitterness. You start guarding what's happening in your heart when you feel like, hey, I, I feel offended that that person would do that, that they would say that, that they would act that way. If you guard your heart at that point, then you don't have to actually worry about the bitter words because it's not going to get there.
So guard what you allow to take root in your life. We have a choice between the presence of God and unforgiveness and bitterness, offense. We have a choice of of if we're going to actually recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can have Holy Spirit. We can have more of the Holy Spirit. We can have more of God in our lives. We can have more glory in our lives. But we can't have it at the same time that we hold on to our unforgiveness. It's one or the other. If your heart is not for unity, you're in direct conflict with the will of Jesus. Church, every time we deny a meeting with those things, we deny the enemy a foothold in our lives. And we actually make a stand at that point for unity. That is the foundation of us actually building something that's for the long haul. To actually build something that is going to impact the Gulf Islands for Jesus. The the reality is we love this idea of, of God being manifest on earth. We love this idea, and I love this. This isn't a bad thing to love, to love this. But if we want to see God manifest. It looks like dealing with the things in front of us. It looks like building unity and refusing to partner with unforgiveness. Refusing to allow bitterness to anchor itself in our lives. Sometimes we get so caught up, and I'm guilty of this because I love looking for big picture, big vision. We get so caught up in the vision of what God, what, what God wants to do that we miss the thing that's right in front of us that he's asking us to do. Sometimes it actually feels easier Okay, I'm going to close with this, but but I think I, I need to say this. There's this thing that we do as humans where we love going on fad diets and things like that that work for a little while and then we fall off the wagon and like New Year's resolution kind of stuff. We'll go after that, but we won't make the small change of just changing diet and exercise making a tiny, tiny little adjustment. Right? We want the big prayer meetings on Wednesday nights, but we don't want to take the, the small time to pray. You get what I'm, you, you, you get what I'm saying? We, we, we get this big picture, far away thing. We want to see God manifest and meet people, but we don't want to take the steps of boldness and courage to talk to them about Jesus. Come on now. We want the big change in the future, but we don't want to take the small steps right now. I'm closing with that. We have a choice to choose bitterness or to choose his presence.
What are you going to choose? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that you've invited us to partner with your life. With your Holy Spirit in us. I ask right now that you would highlight places where we've allowed unforgiveness, where we've allowed bitterness and offense to take root in our lives. By your Holy Spirit, that you would dig those things up, roots and all. I'm just going to put some music on in the back and I just want to encourage you to take take a couple minutes. If you have to rush out, that's no problem. But if you don't, take a couple minutes and just listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him highlight things. Don't be quick to rush away from what he's saying. If you'd like, uh, we'll have prayer.